Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Don't check under your seats, not just yet. Not just yet. I don't know what you think of the word supernatural, the world's enamored with the supernatural. I think the supernatural is everything that goes against or above and beyond what is natural in this world. What's natural in our world is to be generous with your sexuality and stingy with your finances. That's the natural order of things in our world in 2019. The Bible says, I want you to be unbelievably, ridiculously generous with your finances and super stingy with your sexuality and save that for marriage. See, it's all upside down. When we preach the gospel, the the responses, the response we want, we want to see the kingdom of God come. We want to see the supernatural break in so that the kingdom of God comes. So lives change. Purposes change. I had a family member, an important family member who doesn't believe in Jesus and is a self-declared atheist, come to church this morning. It's always fun when um, very close family people come to church. Thinking, will it be Bunty? He's going to hit a note, and and the glory of God is going to come. Maybe it's that. Don't mess it up, Bunty. Could it be the coffee team and Nathan and the Rockers on the coffee machine? Would that be the thing that would just pull him into community, pull him into some appetite for God? Will it be the 21 minutes I had to preach the gospel this morning because the rugby was coming? Would it be all those things? You know what I think it was? Things are story about a supernatural act of God moving the heart of a man who in the natural order should sell a car, take the finances, bank it, and move on and call it wisdom. Because we find ways of justifying a million things. You don't have to justify generosity. Why? Because I believe generosity is the very essence and nature of who God is. And we're doing this series about eternity matters. Why? Because this heart is a heart made for eternity. It says he set eternity in our hearts, which means this heart has an appetite for eternity. And even though my heart sometimes defaults to smallness, defaults to pragmatism, defaults to safety, defaults to all these things that we can justify, the gospel says there's something different. You know, we get challenged as we live lives. We start compartmentalizing our lives and saying, well, God, you can have my time, but you can't have my resources. You can't have my skills. And and that's why I love baptism. I love baptism because I believe it's all in. You, you can't stop your ears from getting wet when you go under that water. We make sure you go under, all of you, which has meant there's been some embarrassing moments over the years. But we believe it's a full immersion in the fullness of who Jesus is. My time, my talents, my treasures, anything and everything I can give gets immersed in Jesus. Why? Because God is a giver. And all I want to do tonight, I'm I used to think, and maybe when I started going to church, I used to go, well, the preacher man's job is to tell me how to do this thing, this Christian thing. What does it look like? What are the boxes? It's not my job. I feel completely free. That's not my job tonight. My job tonight is to tell you something about who God the Father is, that an appetite would work itself up inside of you, that you want to be like Him. See, we sing these songs, oh, to be like Him, to give all I have just to know Him. I don't know about you, but I sung those songs, and I don't always think about the implications of those lines. I want to tell you tonight, God is a giver. He is generous. He is kind. He is more generous in His ways than you could possibly imagine. And if you leave with one idea, just one thought about who God is tonight, 
Remember this. God is generous and he is kind. And he shows us that right at the start, there's this principle as you do theology. It's called the principle of of first mention. No, not the principle of first mention. What's it called? The law of first mention. Much better. Where as something is mentioned for the very first time, that becomes the basis on top of which you then add. So when Jesus does a miracle, the first miracle becomes something of a basis, something of a precedent. And every other miracle and add on some greater revelation that shows us. But you start with the first mention of whatever it is, sacrifice, whatever it is. I want to show you the law of first mention night in the first miracle that Jesus did. What was the first miracle he did? All the party goes know this one. He turned, yeah, that's the one everyone knows. Our unchurched folks know that one. He turned water into wine. What a rock star. I mean, let's be honest. He goes to a wedding where a young couple don't have the resources to make sure that there's enough wine for everyone, and they run out, and Jesus is there because he was invited. I want to read from that tonight because I'm getting too excited. I'm not even looking at my notes. I, I, I want to read from the Bible, John chapter 2. It's in the New Testament. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. If I said that to my mother, I wouldn't be standing here today. Um, I'm pretty sure it would have ended differently to how this story ended. Maybe raising someone from the dead, but it would have been the guy who asked, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do what he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, the tussies, after the guests had had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's the first And because of the law of first mention, it becomes something of a precedent. Jesus is putting the story in. It's the first. He could have have healed a little dead girl like he did later on. He could have healed the lame man that was brought to him. He could have done many amazing things that everyone would have gone, huh? That's a miracle. He chose to break into a situation and a context with a miracle of turning water, a valueless item in that where there was availability and they could drink, not valueless, definitely not in Cape Town, but water into the most valuable of wine. A couple of points from the simple story in the context of eternity and in the context of my heart that defaults to smallness, stinginess, where God's saying, I want to see the supernatural in your life. I want to see the more than what is natural, the more than what is possible. And it starts with a simple story. And I believe as you look at these stories, I read these stories say, Jesus, show me the Father. Show me what you're doing here. Point number one, simple point. It just says this. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited into the wedding. I mean, like the most, I've preached this many times. I've never preached this point. They invited Jesus. You know why they saw a miracle at their wedding? They invited Jesus. Have you invited Jesus? 
I know people crying out for a miracle in their finances, but they haven't invited Jesus into their finances. Jesus, stay outside. Stay outside of my lifestyle. But from the outside, could you bless me? From the outside of my story, I'm not going to obey your word. I'm not going to even read your word because I might have to be called to obey. I'm going to leave you outside so you're not invited inside, but could you fix what's inside? Jesus said, but you haven't invited me inside. And I think this couple who, here's what you've got to understand of the context of the day. For them to run out of wine at their wedding would have been hugely, hugely, hugely embarrassing. Hugely embarrassing. Because the whole community would come together, they would, all invited would come, and the celebration would be determining something of a blessing over their marriage as everyone partied hard, and the wine was there for the whole time, something special for every guest. And Jesus comes and says, this couple, they just invited me. They have no expectation. I'm the one who can turn water to the wine, but I'm the miracle worker, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover them. I'm going to cover their shame. I'm going to stop them being embarrassed, and I'm going to turn water into wine. Why? Because they invited me. You want to see miracles in your life? Invite Jesus. Invite him in. And I, I don't know if this maybe seems like an oversimplified point to you, but I'm telling you, too much of the church know about Jesus, like keeping him on the outside, and maybe even put a banner outside the house, but he's still on the outside. And until Jesus gets, becomes master of the inside, we're not going to see the signs and wonders and miracles I think he has for us. Why do we preach this series with passion and zeal? Why? Because we want to see miracles. And I'm not saying that we'll see miracles because we give. I'm saying when we become like God, we'll see miracles because that's who He is. It's a difference. Have you invited Him in? And not just, well, I've invited, I, I want to play in worship. So I've invited Him in to come and bless my worship. No, He doesn't want your worship. He wants your heart. The rest of the stuff just flows from that place. That's why He teaches the disciples in Matthew 6. And He speaks to them in the sermon. I say, guys, guys. You can't have two masters. Your heart can only have one. And then he specifies, says, man cannot serve both God and money. Why did he go there? Why didn't he go, man cannot serve rugby and God? Like, or God cannot serve any other idol that pokes his head up all the time. No, he specifies God and money because he knows this thing of money has an implication on decisions that have greater implications into eternity for souls. It's a big story. The man who received that car will never be the same again. I've known him for years. He's a faithful man. He's a man worth blessing. But actually, in the natural, he didn't deserve it. In the natural, he hasn't made enough money to own it. In the natural, he shouldn't have a very nice car. See, but that man's got a son. He's watched his dad struggle. And that young man, gets to witness something supernatural, the blessing of God on his dad, and forever things can change in that family. Supernatural. And the man who gave it, he starts participating in heaven out of faith in the goodness and provision of God, not lacking or fear. He steps into sowing radically. And I'm going to speak to you about a word later that speaks of radical, almost brash sowing. That I'm saying to my heart, I, I need you to be there feeble heart that sometimes defaults to smallness. I need you to be there, but here's the starting point. Have you invited him in? Point number two, and it's really simple tonight, it's just, I just want to tell you, Jesus always gives the best. And, and I don't know, maybe, you see, I'm a dad on this earth. I'm a natural dad of three wild young men 
who have very high expectations. Judah, Judah is already telling me what he wants for his birthday next year, December. I'm like, but what are you talking about? We're just trying to navigate this one. But if you were to push me into a corner and say, what is the gospel? I would tell you these three words. How much more? And Luke 11 tells us, says, though the fathers on this earth, though they are evil, are able to give good gifts, how much more the Father in heaven? He gives the Holy Spirit. God gives himself to us and pours himself into us, our frail, broken beings. You want to see about generosity? Just start there. But God gives the best, and the, the master of the banquet comes and says, hey, 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 everyone brings out the good stuff first and brings out the cheap stuff later when everyone's had way too much to drink. You brought out the best stuff later. And imagine the, the bridegroom, um, yeah, he's looking around. And, and, and the gallons that are mentioned there are anywhere between 450 liters and 680 liters. Liters. And he's going, uh, I remember we ordered some wine. And he's just claiming it, yeah. But the best, the best one. And we settle too quickly. Why? Because we lack revelation of who God is. Not what the church can do and not what your job is and what you tick the boxes. No, who God is. God is a giver. God is a generous, glorious, magnificent giver. And I know some pretty amazing fathers who've given some pretty amazing gifts to their children on this earth. And I want to be one of those dads. My boy wanted a guitar for his birthday. He wanted a guitar. And you know what happened? He told me in February he wanted a guitar. A family named the Fundavestas and decided to move to England. And Nathan Fundavestas, in his 16, knew that my boy Ben wanted a guitar. He's got a beautiful black guitar that could have gone in a container to England. He said, Uncle Mark, I want Ben to have this guitar. Why? Because there's a father in heaven, a much better father than I could ever be. And where I fail and have limitations, there's a father in heaven who doesn't. We need to see him. We need to see him. I can tell you good principles for your finances. I promise you it'll last three days. The joy will run out. The first hurdle will come. But when you see God and we do it in response to seeing him, everything changes. And the power for that life starts changing. And the generosity of heaven starts breaking into the story. I love it. The most expensive bottle of wine that's been sold to date, 558,000 US dollars. One bottle of wine. One. Just one. Hope they didn't break the cork. One bottle of wine. And this guy comes and says, this is the finest wine. Imagine you take the value of the finest wine this world knows to the finest wine that only Jesus can make, because I think Jesus would be a pretty spectacular wine maker. And you multiply that and look at the value. Here's what's spectacular about it is in those days, the couple would get married and the only way that they would have a future, they wouldn't, people wouldn't bring them knives and forks and, and cutting boards. Those, were, those weren't the gifts. People would come and add to the feast. And so if we had a family, a, a feast here and you were getting married, the, you would invite your guests, your guests would bring food for the feast. They would bring wine as the most valuable part of that food. And then everything that was left over would be sold to the community and sold to those who were part of the community. And the money that was raised from the, proceed, raised from the proceeds of that sale would go to the couple as their head start. And Jesus said, I'm going to put a precedent in place. In the very first miracle I do, 
I'm going to tell you that the greatest head start you can have in life is not an education. It's not a trust fund. It's not a career. It's me. I'm going to show you that. I'm going to put it at the very first miracle. So the precedent of all miracles I will do will be the goodness, the glorious grace, and the generosity of God. I need you to get it. I'm preaching to my own heart. That default sometimes to too small a picture of who God is. And if you're here tonight and say, I've never made a decision to this God, I want to tell you he's better than you can imagine. This is not some prosperity hype you up. This is the Bible. A simple picture of a miracle because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants our hearts to get it. He says, I want the word of God to explode in your heart. Lastly, it's abundance in every way. It says, nearby stuck, his ab- abundance is his way. Is that what it says up there? Yeah. Uh, abundance is just the way of heaven. It's the way of God. In heaven, there will be no shortages. In heaven, I will have a six-pack, but I'll be drinking Milo for days. It is the abundance of God. I, there will be no shortage of glorious fruit. We won't be sending our best grapes over to the UK. We will be receiving it as the sons and daughters of God. There's going to be no shortage of rooms for his children. There'll be no shortage of health and healing. There'll be no shortage of his presence in our lives. Because his way is abundance. And I love it. Jesus says, he doesn't just say, well, how many people here? Ah, 50. Each need a glass. Okay. We need about 14 bottles of wine. Yes, I've done it before. And... um, so let me, just give me 14 empties. You know, clean them out. Give me 14. Fill them with water. He says, you see those big jars, those massive jars? I'm going to fill all of them with water because my way is not the way of this world. That is about how little can I get away with. My way and the precedent I'm going to put in place is how much can I pour out that won't be overwhelming for them to receive. The grace of God is more abundant than you could ever imagine. I love it. Psalm 112 describes something of what it means to live a blessed life. And there's many preaching out there. You can find series what it looks like a blessed life. Hashtag blessed life, Mercedes, and as long as it's AMG, it's blessed. Otherwise, you're not blessed. Or maybe it's, I I don't know. And I'm telling you, there's some misconception of what a blessed life. Well, let's read the Bible. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord who find great delight in his commands, their children will be mighty in the land. Who wants their children to be mighty in the land? This land needs our children to be mighty. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Not will maybe be blessed, will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, God will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. I mean, you just read that right there. They will be remembered forever. The whole world living for a legacy. That's the promise of the righteous. We get a legacy in Jesus. It says, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. This is the promise to God's children. It's abundant. And in the end, they will look and triumph on their foes. They will have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. 
I mean, there's just so many promises and so many truths about what it truly means to be blessed by God. No fear, secure, not anxious. And in the midst of darkness, he will draw dawn a light for his children. These are the promises. But I love this one as I stumbled onto Psalm 112 verse 9. And it speaks about, and he freely gives. Freely gives. And there's a verb that's used there that's different to most of the times when it describes giving in the Bible. It's this verb, pozar. P-A-W-Z-A-R. And this verb is different. The normal verb that's used around giving is the word Nathan or Nathan, where Nathan comes from. It means the gift, to give a gift, a, a measure, to come and a sacrifice, and you would present a gift, a nicely wrapped package gift. God receives gifts. My little boy had his nine-year-old birthday, and I, it, it, to see his little heart, who, to be honest, he struggled to make friends. To be honest, his brother goes to birthday parties maybe every second weekend, and he went to one in the whole of grade one. Because he struggles to make friends. To see his heart when friends come, he didn't care about the gift. His one little mate wrote a letter with very bad grade two spelling. That was his favorite thing of the day, that his mate wrote him a letter. Because he's an affirmation guy, he needs words to his heart. He still hasn't opened the toy remote controlled car but he walks around with this card. But this word, the word used here, speaking, giving freely is different. This one means to disperse, to scatter, to throw it out there almost excessively, even brashly. It's the man who comes into a context and says, hey, hey, yeah, you actually need money. I've seen a man receive a gift in pounds, in an envelope. He never opened the envelope and we bumped into another friend of ours, father at the airport who's had a tough time. I saw this man take this envelope out that I knew was full of pounds. He didn't even open it to check how many were there. He just said, this is for you. No song and dance. It could have been seen brash. It could be, well, he's the giver now. No, God's the provider. If I need to check the envelope, I'm doubting who the envelope came from. I'm doubting the source of that gift into my life. And there's something of this call to what it looks like to live a blessed life is to live something of a brashly, openly generous story with my time, my talents, and my treasures. I'm preaching to my own heart. I want this for my life. And at times I wrestle it. I don't want to give my time away all the time. I don't want to give my talents away all the time. I don't always want to give my finances away all the time. Look at Johan sitting here. He's been in church his whole life. His family has given their lives to planting church. I went to go be a part of that 25-year celebration last weekend. And yet he's still up here. He's still paying a price. He's still getting an Ubers, crossing town to come and lead worship so that his gift can be given away. Why? Because he knows on the other side of that giving, there is a Father in heaven who sees every seed sown. And the Bible says, I'm calling the blessed life. You want to know what the blessed life looks like? It doesn't look like 10% or 20%. It looks like a brashness, confidence in the living God as I sow with my time, my talents, and my treasures. You see, I can tell you what to do. I can give you, and you, what the natural heart will do, well, wow, that's the minimum. That, that's cool, I can do that. And you know what, in the natural we can Religion has done it for decades and centuries. God never called us to religious giving of anything. God called us to see Him. And here's the picture. Jesus got whipped. He got lashed 39 times. And every time those lashes ripped into His body at the end of them, 
with pieces of bone, with pieces of stone, with pieces of glass wrapped into this, these lashes that would rip his body. And every time he got whipped and they would pull it back, pieces of flesh and blood would come out of his body. I don't want to be over dramas. I'm just telling you what happened on the cross. And every time it went in, they would pull it back and his body would be scattered. Pieces of our Savior's flesh would be scattered so that we could be gathered into the love of Jesus. See, Jesus said, I'm going to do a miracle on this earth. And the very first one, I'm going to show you the abundance of heaven. I'm going to break into the story of a young couple who didn't have the resources to keep themselves from shame. And I'm going to overcome that. I'm going to do a miracle with water. I'm going to take something everyone uses and abuses. And I'm going to turn it into something priceless that sets him up for life. That's the very first miracle he did. But the very last sign that your heart and my heart needs is to see my Savior on a cross, his body scattered. Scattered. Scattered for my soul and yours, for my eternity and yours. Not for my bank account, my tithe, my soul. Scattered. And I'm telling you, this gospel calls us to live the blessed life. And I'm going to tell you what the blessed life looks like. It looks like a puzzle giving. A scattering. Rashly, that won't make sense to the world. A sign and wonder to those who are looking. See, my father-in-law who came to church this morning. He lives a small life of his world. And I love him. But that's, he would tell you that. And we'll edit this out. <laughs> but for him to see a community that can run around and scream at a TV for a rugby team from all different cultures, ages, together. I, I'm sitting here and I've got the gangster grannies behind me shouting at the rugby. I'm like, they're my mates. They're they my mates. And we, we get on battles, to grab battlegrounds together. He gets to see that. And then he gets to hear of a sign and wonder of a supernatural happening of God gripping a young man. Why? Because on a cross hung a man whose body was scattered for me. I get pulled into the bigness of the gospel and it changes everything. Can we stand together tonight? See that, I don't know how you... I don't know how, what the gospel does to you. Sometimes, see, unfortunately, I've been around a while. I've been reading the Bible a while. I actually know where to go often in the Bible. It was easier when I didn't. It was easier when I didn't know where to go. So it just, I could just like do the, you know, the Christian, pop it open, speak God. Oh, it didn't. But now I know the word. And sometimes when I come to the Word, I come to the Word with fear and trepidation because I know Jesus doesn't care about the color of my shoes. He doesn't care about the things people think is important. He cares about one thing, this heart that has a default to smallness and brokenness. This heart that forgets the sacrifice on the cross. This heart that wants to self-justify and compartmentalize. And that compartmentalizing isn't allowed in the Bible. It just doesn't give me the space to say you're justified in making a decision for smallness. Nowhere in the Bible will it let you off the hook like that. 
It'll keep pulling your heart onto a flat table and keep beating your heart until your heart looks like his heart. And then your life begins to follow. I've cried out at times. I said, God, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to keep sowing my time. Where is it coming back? I don't want to keep sowing my gifting. I want to use it for myself. I don't want to keep sowing my finances. What if I could reinvest it and maybe one day, and God's saying, stop it. Stop. On a cross hung a man who redefined you. He redefined you. And all the smallness that enters into your story and keeps you small, he redefined it and he gave you a new heart that began to beat for a new song and a new story. Said, I set eternity in that heart the minute I put my blood upon your life. And good people will pass away in this life sometimes. And you won't understand why. And you'll sow seed and you might not see the fruit of it. You might never be a part of harvesting that. But there's a, there's a glorious harvest. It's called the kingdom of God you can be a part of. It'll change everything. It's going to demand everything. Stop listening to the, the self-justifying voices that keep it small, but buy into the bigger story called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine you were that young couple. I wish this was the testimony of every marriage in our story. Paid for. Here's your honeymoon. Here's your start. You know what? Why not? Why not? Why not through my life and yours? You're a foreigner, can't get money, access to, no, why not? Here's a head start in life. Why, why not young people getting into debt, who, who get into debt to finance, wedding? no, 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 no. Why not? Hey, Coach Oscar, I want to see miracles. You know what heart will see miracle? The heart that's allowed itself to be placed upon the word of God. And then we see Jesus. Scattered. So that I could live a life that looks different to this world. I want that. I want that for you. I want that for my boys. I've got a little boy who, when Ben got his presents, his brother Judah started telling him how much it was all worth. Because <laughs> to him, that's a thing. And I love that because I think there's a gift in that. But truthfully, it puts fear in my heart that his little heart would get consumed by that. So my job as his dad is to keep showing him Jesus and the glorious Father. Can we close our eyes for a last minute? Philip cried an incredible prayer. He just said, show me the Father and that will be enough for me. Show me the Father. Jesus came to do one thing. He came to make a way to the Father and to show us the Father. He didn't come to do his own show. The Bible comes to do one thing. 
needs to show us what the Father's like. And Jesus does a miracle in a land of lack. He does a miracle. He says, I'm going to break into this young couple's story. I'm going to change the game. It won't make sense. No one will understand. What would those servants who watched him fill, who filled that with water, what would they know now? See, who are we in the story? I think we're the servants. He says, will you fill empty jugs with water and allow me to do a miracle? If you don't know Jesus tonight, you need to make a decision to let him be your Lord and Savior tonight. Because he loves you. He has abundance for you. He is glorious and He is good. If you don't know Jesus right now, will you raise your hands as we can celebrate with you and pray with you? If you haven't made that decision or you're far from Him tonight, if there's anyone here, I want to give that opportunity. If there's anyone? That's cool. But can you do something with me in this last minute? Can you place your hand upon your heart? Can you pray with me, Jesus? Show me the Father. And that will be enough for me. Will you pray, Holy Spirit? Show me the Father. And that will be enough for me. I pray for every person here tonight, God. I pray the self-justifying voices would be silenced. And your gospel would grip us afresh and new. And you would pull us into the biggest story of eternity today. Have all the glory, King.